This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler, Ryan Shumpert, and Jack Foster. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast. My name is Rick Butler. Joined to my right, that is Ryan Shumper. Joined across the table, that is the one, the only Jack Foster. Thank you again to WTK for letting us use their wonderful studio here on campus. It is Thursday, September 7th. The time is just past 10 o'clock in the morning. Gentlemen, good morning. How you guys doing? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, football season fully here. We get the, here. the last... Football is back. I guess, I guess Sunday is probably truly the last football is back, but uh, really tonight as the NFL season gets kicked off. So Yeah, happy NFL day to everybody. Happy NFL day and uh, excited uh, to kind of get into a, a full swing of things. Look at this. This guy's just smirking back. He, he has a grin from ear to ear back here <laughs> the second that you said the word NFL. Jack, scale of 1 to 10, just how excited are you for things to get kicked off tonight? Um, Because I'm a 10 on Sunday, I'll say I'm a 9 tonight. Um, oh, okay. It is a little... It it's is a reasonable response. You know, it does take a little of the allure off that we don't get to see Travis Kelsey tonight. That That's a bummer, you know. Yeah. You, you want to see Mahomes and Kelsey game one. But, man, I'm excited for NFL to be back, of course. But It's a it's a bummer, but it also should make the game a little more like yeah. competitive, too. Yeah, Not yeah, that the Lions fair. couldn't have competed in any way. But. Right. But, I mean, football's not truly back until you get Scott Hansen on Sunday. So. <laughs> ah, that's a great point. That is true. That's a great point. Um, look, I don't want to say that I, I'm the fantasy guru out of the three of us. <laughs> Because I'm not. <laughs> but big brain move. I went and picked up uh, Noah Gray the hey. other day. What do you think <laughs> okay. about that, Jack? What do you think about that? He's yeah. pretty good. Pretty good. Um, Kelsey's missed one game in his career, and in that game, three tight ends combined for four catches for 21 yards. So can't oh. say I think it's going to work out. Okay. Maybe. Okay. Who knows? It's a it's a good DFS dart throw tonight ah, on Fanduel. So thank you. Well, I don't think I'm going to play him, but you know there you he's go. there. He's, he's there. there. I wanted to at least be able to say that I took the steps necessary to get him on my team. Did you get Josh Dobbs too? <laughs> In one of my leagues, yeah. yeah. There you go. He'll be the backup for the next couple, or he'll be the starter for the next couple of weeks, and then eventually he might move to a backup. But it's a starting quarterback, so you know, gentlemen, we got a game on Saturday. Tennessee hosts Austin P in the. I guess 2023 home opener in Neyland Stadium. Kind of a weird time, 5 o'clock p.m., but at least maybe we'll get out of here a little bit earlier after the game. Tennessee has a massive chance to win this game, 99% according to ESPN's analytics. But even before we talk about this game, because ultimately there's not a ton to talk about with this game. Obviously we want to get into maybe some of the younger players that we're excited to see, maybe some of the younger players that we need to see. I want to go back to a little bit of breaking news yesterday. Ryan, we learned and Josh Heupel confirmed that Linebacker Keenan Peely, the transfer from BYU, the one who actually, according to Josh Heupel, received a game ball after the Virginia game. He's going to be out for an extended uh, little bit of time. Maybe the belief in the in the locker room or the belief in the program right now is that it's not season-ending, but certainly could miss a couple of weeks. What do you think about this? Yeah, it's certainly kind of a surprising loss for Tennessee because we didn't see anything to indicate that he got injured on Saturday and then we didn't hear anything about it until Wednesday you know typically someone gets injured we hear about it a little bit earlier in the week not always uh, but that's you know oftentimes the case and I think from that sense it would to me seem to indicate to be a good sign from the extent of the injury or the time that he would miss you feel like if it was something that Tennessee 
or just something that was going to sideline Peely for the entire dis- entirety of the season, they would have known pretty early in the week. Heupel said on the SEC coaches teleconference on Wednesday that uh, they really weren't sure uh, how, you know, they knew he had the injury earlier in the week, but they were still trying to get all the details back in, in just how long it, it'll mean that he'll miss. But uh, certainly a loss for Tennessee and all that linebacker depth that Tennessee touted uh, all fall camp is now going to have to step up and prove it here pretty uh, early in the season. Yeah, we'll see how long it is. Obviously not a big deal this week, but it, you know it's a, it's a deal for sure moving forward and when SEC Blake gets ramped up. So it, it's a loss for Tennessee. I thought Peely played really well against Virginia, made some great open field tackles. But, you know, on the bright side, you get Arian Carter, you get a healthy dose of um, Arian Carter and Elijah Herring this Saturday in the short term. Yeah, you know, I saw a lot of people, I think, in the immediate reaction call, calling for Arian Carter, talking about that on social media. And, hey, don't get me wrong, certainly going to have an increased presence. But I do think that, do you think it's going to be Elijah Herring that kind of steps in for that exact starting role yeah. in terms of replacing uh, Keenan Peely right next to Aaron Beasley to start the game? I, that's at least where I think it's going to go, and that's at least what we know from the depth chart as well. Yeah, definitely. And uh, he played really... And well, you know, who knows if it would have been like this if the game was a little more competitive. But uh, Elijah Herring played, I believe it was the exact same number of defensive snaps as uh, Peely played in, in the opener against Virginia. So mm. Aaron Beasley exactly. was very clearly the number one guy, I think, in around the 40 range. And then both those guys were, I, I want to say 24, but right around 25. I think maybe the two thoughts I have is one, it's kind of hard to tell just how big of a loss it is at this point because Keenan Peely, at least to me, was one of the biggest question mark Tennessee transfers that they had like you knew he was going to start but how good he was going to be was kind of or the range of how good he could be seemed pretty wide going into the preseason and he played really well in the opener but again not a very good team not a very competitive game so I don't think you know exactly what you're missing and the second thought is just you know if I'm Josh Heupel I'm Tim Banks I'm Brian Jean-Marie didn't say Gene this time (laughs) Brian Jean-Marie you know, let Aaron Beasley go out there and play the first possession of the game. I'm not I'm not letting them play another snap yeah, the rest of the game. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point, too. I mean, it's twofold. One, basically, it was week three last year, but basically a very similar game. You had Cedric Tillman get hurt against that's Akron. Right. Uh, you don't, the last thing that can happen for you now is Aaron Beasley get hurt. And then, two, you have all these young guys that are going to have to step up in Keenan Peely's absence. I would just want to force feed those guys as many reps as possible this week against Austin P before you head to Florida. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying, and Elijah Herring will get the first crack at it, of course, over Arian Carter. So I guess, you know, if Beasley, assuming he won't play a whole lot against Austin P, we'll see a lot of Caleb Perry, too. Yeah, I think it's almost sure. just as interesting because I think it's pretty obvious Herring's going to get the most snaps in Peely's absence. And entering a game like Austin P without Peely, I think it almost becomes more interesting of like what does the Caleb Perry, Jeremiah T. Lander, yeah, those guys who are now, while Peely's out, competing to be the fourth linebacker, and we know Tennessee likes to play four linebackers when they feel good about enough guys. Who is that? Uh, I, you know, you would think it'd be Perry, uh, but I don't, you know, I don't think there's a ton of separation right now between him and T. Lander. So it'll be interesting to see how much both those guys play against Austin P. Uh, and how well they perform while they're in the game. Yeah, and again, you know, not that you put a ton of stock into it, but you look back at that depth chart that Tennessee has released in each of the first two weeks, and on one side of the linebacker unit, it was a very definitive Keenan Peely, Elijah Herring, and then Jeremiah Thielander at the at the bottom of that trio. Then you go to the other side of the linebackers, and it was Aaron Beasley starting, and then Caleb, uh, Caleb Perry or Aaron Beasley. So... 
But all that goes to say is that, like you said, I, I do think that there's going to be a ton of rotation. I think that obviously would have been the case anyways with, with the nature of the competition that they're playing on Saturday. But I do think that this is a great opportunity to get some of these young guys in, get some of those underclassmen in. Hey, they talked about rotation off training camp. This is going to be a golden opportunity for them to do so. Now down a man for a couple of weeks in Keenan Peely's absence. Yep. Yeah, I think that's uh, pretty much sums it up. Yeah, sums it up pretty perfectly. Well, let's kind of just continue on that note then. You know, I really think that this is going to be a game where, look, we don't need to necessarily break down the X's and O's of the thing right now. <laughs> yeah. If Tennessee's not winning by 40 points at halftime or so, you know, I think you might kind of raise an eyebrow. To me, this is about how long do the starters stay in? Can the starters get a little bit hotter of a start? Obviously, it's a perfect team to be able to do so, right? I, to me, I would like to see the offense really get their feet into them a little bit quicker, but then you get all those guys off the field. Ryan, you, you brought up the one thing that I was kind of thinking about coming in here and driving into the station today is, you know, hey, Cedric Tillman going back to that Akron game. I think you get all your starters out, you get some of these young guys in, and then, boy, you start the mass rotation to get as many of those guys early playing time as you can. To me, the biggest name at the top of that list is Nico Iamaliava, but maybe we'll come back to that a little bit later on in the podcast. I think one thing I'm interested to see, and this is almost from uh, trying to figure out what Tennessee's identity is going to be, and I think we all knew going into the season Tennessee was going to run the ball. They were going to be a lot more run-dominant team. We clearly saw that in the opener, and Josh Heupel said as much uh, on Monday. I can't remember exactly how he phrased the quote, but he was asked about Austin P. And he was kind of just going over some generic notes, and he was like, you know, we're going to have to run the football, you know, to try to set up some deep shots. And he's like, just like it's going to be all season for us. So it definitely, I think, to this point, we've seen a full pivot to this being clearly a run-first offense. I think that's going to be the case all season, but I'm curious to see what that looks like early in Austin P game. Does Tennessee, because Tennessee can run the ball eight times with Jalen Wright, Dylan Sampson, Jabari Small in the first drive of the game, seven times, six times, score a touchdown. They don't have to throw a pass. Does Josh Heupel try to air it out a little bit more early, get Joe Milton a little bit more comfortable, uh, get him a little more confident, lean on the pass game a little bit more to try to develop the pass game in the first half of this one against Austin P. develop some confidence heading into a key Florida game, or is it just tried and true, we're going to lean on the run game because that's what we're going to do all season? Yeah, I almost think that you know, the gameplay's going to be more on the passing side of things because if there was something about Tennessee's offense that wasn't perfect against Virginia, it was the passing offense there in the first half. Joe Milton missed some throws, the receivers had some drops. So, and getting on the same page just in terms of working through your progressions and stuff too. So I think you'll see more passing than you would normally in a game like this for Tennessee because we kind of know what these running backs are. We saw what they are capable of against Virginia. Yeah, and, you know, look, I, I think Austin P could do something similar to what Virginia did, right? Drop a lot of guys back in the secondary and say, hey, we're not we're not necessarily going to let you take that deep shot. But I do think this is, this is a good opportunity for Tennessee to take those deep shots, right? I think this is obviously matchups that Tennessee can win. I think they're in a position to win. And I don't think that they're obviously going to need to rely on those kind of shots. But you take them anyways going down the field. I think that Dante Thornton's going to be a big player on Saturday. Just getting him continued reps wet. to, exactly, to keep getting his feet wet to keep kind of understanding his role in the offense. I think that this is going to be a big game for him. And, again, he's one of the guys that you don't want to keep in too long, but as one of the transfers, I think he has kind of that added bonus of, hey, let's get him as many reps as we can. Let's get him to feel as good as possible. Because, hey, look, as much as we're talking about Austin P right now and the, uh, for lack of a better term, the, the non-challenges that come with that game, 
we're going to be sitting here one week from today or so talking about a Florida game Big in the swamp game. at night. So, yeah. you know, a lot of these boxes, to me, got to get checked off before you do that and before you start really what's going to be this tough uh, SEC schedule. And Thornton should have more opportunities with Squirrel White a little dinged up. So Yeah, and the receivers, I'm almost playing at least two and a half quarters, you know, without substituting and getting the Chaz Nimrod uh, and Caleb Webb. You know, Jalen Wright's a guy probably doesn't need to get a, a ton of snaps, a ton of carries in this game. Uh, but yeah. just the receivers, because of that lack of continuity, at least at some points in the passing game last week, um, and just the fact that so many of them are either in a new spot or at least in a new role, uh, I think it's important to try to build as much confidence with that group as possible going into Florida. Okay, so following up on that, and this is my question to you guys around the table, is me personally, I would like to see Nico for the entirety of the second half. I think that would be really important. I, I think for a lot of different reasons, and I wrote about this a little bit yesterday. You can go and find it on RockyTupInsider.com. But after this game right here in Austin P, Tennessee has six straight games where they're facing a, a team that was ranked in the top 60 according to ESPN's SP Plus rankings. Then you have UConn. Then you finish it off with, with what, Georgia and Vanderbilt, something like that. Yeah. There's not going to be a ton more opportunities to get these big extended roles. And even going back to last week, I thought that was good experience. You get them in front of a, a quote-unquote home crowd that Tennessee had in Nissan Stadium. But it only goes in for two drives, right? And the second of those drives, I believe, maybe there's the first one, but one of them was a three and out. Yeah, second I one. think that this is an opportunity where you get him continuous uh, reps throughout the game, throughout the second half, you let him direct the offense. You let him continue to go through that, make the changes he needs to make in the game. Because again, going back to, you know, going back to last year, hey, Hendon Hooker had Joe Milton as his backup, right? You you knew what Joe Milton had. You knew the experience that he had. You knew that he had started a game as an SEC quarterback before. Nico is still a true freshman, despite being here since December as well. So I think that those kind of reps are going to be important. And how I started this, Ryan, going back to your point a second ago. Hey, you leave in those receivers for two and a half quarters or so. That gives Nico a couple, a little bit of experience with those starting receivers. And I'm not, I'm not calling for a quarterback controversy, anything like that. But again, I'm just saying. Yeah, I agree. we've seen, we've seen right how, how yeah. quickly a season can turn because of a quarterback getting injured. I'm sure that they have plenty of experience in practice, and I'm sure Nico's thrown to Dante and Ramel and all those guys. But, man, get him some true in-game reps so that that's not a worry going forward in case anything happens the rest of the year. One thing that I think maybe expedites the importance of that is, you know, every year, you're, or most every year for Tennessee, non-conference schedule, you've got one big Power 5 game, you got the FCS game, and then you got two kind of middling uh group of five teams that sure. are easy wins. And while the Virginia game was as easy as a, you know, big power five game as I can ever remember Tennessee playing, and Austin P is Austin P, the FCS team, they got killed last week by Southern Illinois. The two middle teams are better than what Tim Tennessee typically plays. We've talked about UTSA this yeah. offseason and even UConn, who I'm still not super high on, played North Carolina State pretty well. Yeah, they gave them all they could handle. Yeah, gave them all they could handle last week. And you know that doesn't mean that UTSA or UConn's gonna give Tennessee all they can handle. But it does mean that the game might not be over at halftime like they typically are. Like they were against Akron when it was over in the second quarter uh, last season, or it was against Ball State when it was over two plays into the end of the game yeah, when exactly. it was interception touchdown. So you don't you don't have any guarantee that you're going to get be able to get Nico a lot of reps in those two games. 
The other game on heck Vanderbilt's probably just as easy, if not easier, than those two games, and that's the last game of the regular season. So yeah, you don't want to have to be force feeding him reps. To, by that time, you know, hopefully he for Tennessee's sake, Nico hasn't played in any, any meaningful moments, but it's going to be a very different feel by the end of the season. So I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think we've seen it a couple times in the past with Heupel where he's gone first drive of the second half, starting quarterback out there, and then after that goes to the yeah. backup. Yeah. Uh, I could see that being the case. Yeah, and, and no Gaston Moore, right? I think that's great. And, and maybe a maybe you're a gonna get some two, ga- You're going to get, get at least one drive. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Maybe you're you're going to get end. one Gaston Moore, one Navy Shuler drive. But let's... Right, let's let's get when the people who need the reps the reps, right? Uh, and it, no no disrespect, no disrespect from me towards Gaston Moore. None of it. But let's let's make sure it's at the very very end. That's at least how I feel. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Like in like both of y'all said, this is the game to do it for Nico Yamaleava to get a lot of run because you don't you're not going to have this opportunity moving down in the season. And if you do against UConn, that's already pretty late in the season. Yeah. And who knows what injuries could occur to Joe Milton or whoever else in in the meat part of the season. So it's very important for Nico to get a lot of run. I want to see him get some run with the starting receivers, like you said. So yeah, two and a half quarters feels like the the right amount for Nico in this game. Let's talk about maybe some young players that, that you're excited to see progress on Saturday again. The whole narrative around this game so far has been when Tennessee takes the starters out, when they really start these rotations, who are you excited to see? I hope nobody steals mine, but Ryan, give me a name or two that you might be excited to watch uh, from the from the underclassmen ranks. Well, I don't think this one's going to be stealing yours, but mine's Jackson Ross. I mean, it's his, <laughs> you didn't steal mine. He's a redshirt freshman. He's wow, not a guy a, okay. that necessarily fits the mold of what you're talking about. But it's him. This and might jo- be a better answer than what I was saying. It's him and Josh Turbeville because look, we're going to learn nothing about Tennessee in this game. Yeah, you might have some individual we'll learn about Nico. I think a little bit. Yeah, those freshmen we're talking about, we can learn some a little individual bit. Individual stuff. Yes. I see what you're saying, but though. nothing is a whole. Nothing that the guys here Tennessee's going to rely on this season. Are you going to learn about? Well, the kicking, you know, can be a little bit harder, a little bit more pressure in a close game, a little bit pressure, more pressure on the road. But for the most part, punning's punning and kicking kickoffs are kickoffs. Like that's it is what it is. And for two guys that struggled in their Tennessee debuts a week ago, and now I don't know how much work Jackson Ross is going to get as a punter in this game, at least early in the game. I think you want to see those guys. You want to leave the game against Austin P. going, okay, that might have just been some game one college football nerves that those guys right. had last week. Uh, and you want those guys to kind of ease some of the concerns about Tennessee's kicking game. And another guy that's not a young guy, but kind of fitting the mold too. We didn't see Charles Campbell have any field goals last week. Mm. Uh, would be you know good to see him uh, attempt one and see kind of what he looks like there. Yeah, I agree. Tennessee going for those fourth downs kind of get, took a rep <laughs> from each of them on the way. Yeah. I'll, I'll go with the uh, freshman defensive backs and just defensive back depth. And also, Tennessee defense forced a turnover in this game just to do that. You know, kind of yeah. get over that hump, if you will, of the Agreed. season, force your first turnover. So, force a couple turnovers from the defense. Want to see what Jordan Matthews and Ricky Gibson look like in extended time. Some of those other deep defensive backs on the depth chart. So, just see who stands out there early and who can make some noise. Oh man, <laughs> Ryan, going back to the kicking game, right? Because that I, I'd totally forgotten about that. Just getting kind of you know the the prep that we were doing throughout the show today. That's really interesting, and I think you're right. To me, one of the biggest things in that kind of department is you leave that game with the players having confidence in, in what they can do. I, I I think maybe that was an instance going back to last week, and even going back to training camp, right? 
believe it was Mike Eckler who said something along the lines of, you know, hey, Jackson Ross is built for this moment. He's played in front of big crowds. He's played in front of professional crowds, 60,000, 70,000. And then I think Jackson Ross came over just about an hour or so later and said, well, that might have been a little bit of exaggeration. I probably played in front of 15,000, 20,000, 25,000. Maybe I'm getting those numbers wrong personally, so I apologize if I am. But something in that ballpark. To me, when you have that, that first missed punt against Virginia, then you follow it up with another one. You're in that big stadium, probably the most fans you've ever seen in your life. I, I think you can probably get rattled pretty easily there, and I think you can probably get shook pretty easily there. I'm not saying that that's that I know that's what happened or, or anything like that, but to me, that's that's what looked like what happened. You know, got a little bit rattled after that first punt, took a couple punts to kind of get his foot back to where he wanted to go. You saw him in the game with that giant 50-yarder. So to me, I think that confidence is key here. And again, I'm, I'm not positive that there's a there's a problem in that department or anything like that. But I think for anybody, right, you want them to leave this game feeling as confident as possible that when they go on the road next week to Florida, things are going to be in shape. Things are going to be in line. You're not going to have to say, uh, wow, what if this happens again? Or what if that happens again? I think that leaving this game with confidence is most important. But, hey, to leave the game with confidence, you got to perform, right? So whatever showings that they do, uh, Ryan, I agree with you, they, they need to... They need to look good and need to certainly have a little bit of improvement. Uh, but none of the coaching staff really seemed too too concerned about it through the week. I, I think they all felt like this is just a you know a blip in the radar last week. Well, to further back up your point, when you came away from that Tennessee-Virginia game, what was the one thing that you thought about Tennessee's performance that was negative? Was the special teams. Yeah, special was teams. Kickoffs and Jackson Ross. So naturally, that is the thing you want to see improved in week two. I don't know how many punts we're going to be able to see. Probably zero in the first quarter, but... You know, hopefully we can see some, and maybe Jackson Ross can turn things around. There are a couple guys that I am looking forward to seeing. Uh, one of those being, well, two guys from the running back room, both mm. Khalifa Keith and Cam Selden. Uh, I would like to just see kind of what those guys have Selden's and uh, what they're able to do, especially Selden. I, I'm really yeah. excited to see what he can do and want to see if they're going to use him in the passing game. We know that that's a maybe somewhat of a priority for them. At least kind of Jerry Mack talked about how, hey, he's got really good hands, and a lot of that is from him being a wide receiver in high school. Maybe a little bit of Addison Nichols on the def- on the offensive line. I think that's a guy that we were all pretty high on going into training camp. Didn't hear a ton about him then. Didn't seem to necessarily be competing for one of those starting jobs, but I'm excited to see what he's got as he's kind of shifting positions a little bit. And then, Jack, you mentioned a bunch of the good young players uh, uh, from the uh, from the secondary on the defensive side of the ball, but also, hey, how does James Pierce Jr. respond to his game last week, right? Obviously had that wild first quarter where he records not one but two sacks right there. How does he respond in a game like this to where now, hey, people know that he's going to be coming after him. People know what he can do. The media's been talking about him all week. How does James Pierce Jr. respond? And again, what's going to be the last warm-up before the Florida game next week? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, James Pierce, how are you going to follow that up? It's, uh, you know... For that to follow a game like that, it was going to be tough. But. And we talked about it last week. I mean, after the game, James Pierce Jr. kind of turned into one of the more intriguing players on this Tennessee team yep. there after the first week. So that's certainly, I think, where my eyes are going to be, and I think plenty of other eyes are, are going to be on that player. Yeah, can the defensive line wreak havoc like they did last week? And, yeah. you know, Austin Pease lost to them, Virginia, but can they have the same success? And Josh Josephs, can he make an impact? Didn't really make an impact last week. And what does the interior defensive line look like? I don't assume... Amari Thomas will get a whole lot of snaps because he is dinged up if he plays. You know, how much do we see him? And then after that, you know, going to the Currot Garland, the Bryson Eason, Omar Norman Lott, talking about a guy that follow up a big performance. I want to see what he looks like, too. So, I mean, there's a lot on the defensive side of the ball, less on the offensive side of the ball for me in terms of what I'm looking for. But, you know, a healthy dose. 
Yeah, there's just more young guys that will play on, yeah. on defense. And, you know, Davian Hobbs is one I would throw on the defense line, especially if yes. uh, Amari Thomas doesn't play a ton in, in this game, which you wouldn't expect him to. And you're right. It's not, again, it's not going to be, you can't declare, you're, you're not going to be definitive statements you can make about how good Tennessee's defense line is after this game, but you just want to go, you want them to go do what they did again last week because that'll give you more confidence that last week wasn't a fluke and that this group, not that they're going to be as dominant as they were against Virginia or necessarily as they'll be against Austin P, uh, but it'll be more proof that all right, that group has improved and they're just going to be able to overwhelm some teams uh, with with their athleticism uh, and just their ability to get after the passer. Last thing I'll say, and it's because we didn't see it last week, we talked about the deep ball and stuff. Just one Joe Milton dime, yeah. deep deep ball. Just one. I, I think that's something. Yeah, take a couple shots. I want to see. Yeah, take a couple shots. See what happens. But like, I, I keep going back to. Oh man, Ryan, I stole this line from you. I didn't even didn't even give you credit for it, man. Sorry. Shame. I just gotta, Shame. I just got to get that off my chest now. Oh, what was it? Oh no, I, I don't even oh, know no. what you're talking about. Not only did you steal it, but you forgot it. What were that we just talking whammy. about? It just went one ear and out the other. Defensive line. Oh, you were. Oh, you said. Here's what I used. I used it on an interview with uh, with Russell Smith. Uh, we did not need to see a deep shot from Joe Milton on on okay, against Virginia yeah. to know that it's in his bag, right? Yeah. We do not technically need to see a deep ball from from Joe Milton against uh, uh, against Austin P to know that it's in his wheelhouse, right? Or to know that it's in the tool belt right there. So, uh, Jack, I completely agree. Like from a personal standpoint. I, I same thing. I want to see well, what I the deep ball he, looks like. Yeah, it's not but, a matter of can he. It's sure, just sure, a sure. matter of seeing it. Sure. And yes. it's also like Virginia played such prevent coverage. God, they really did. did. Tennessee to take top off. I almost felt like a Madden three man deep. So it's like, so it's like, sure, you know, just take what take what they give you. It wasn't <laughs> even an engage eight situation. <laughs> and there's and there's still some of that with Austin P. Austin P. will probably play uh, over top, and you don't want to force stuff. But at the same time, Tennessee's receivers. An offensive line and offense as a whole should be good enough, even if Austin P is trying to uh, take away the deep shot that Tennessee can still hit one. So uh, I would agree you want to see that. Not the most important thing in the world, but again, when you just talk about building continuity, Jack stole a line uh, from Tony Vitello. I don't remember what he was talking about earlier, but uh, the turnover, yeah, just seeing <laughs> seeing the first. It's all about all about the first. Yeah. You want to see the first deep shot. You want to hit the first deep shot. Uh, you kind of want to get that confidence uh, that comes with that uh, under the belt. I stole from you. Jack stole from Tony Vitello. Who are you stealing from, Ryan? I guess Jack, because Jack, Jack just... <laughs> wow. We're a real den of thieves over here. Any other thoughts on uh, the Austin P game as we kind of shift away from, from that topic coming up at 5 o'clock p.m. on Saturday? That's all I got. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I have anything else. Well, we will certainly be at the game, right? We will all be we will all be covering it. You can obviously follow all of us for coverage. We'll get you that at the end of the program today. But one other player that's going to be at the game, just a, a quick reminder, a quick thing to know, this is linebacker Chris Cole. He's a four-star prospect from the class of 2024. Here's what's interesting. From Salem High School in Salem, Virginia, you know who else goes to Salem, Virginia, uh, Salem High School right now? That would be run, run, one running back, Peyton Lewis out of the Vols 2024 class. I believe he's ranked as about the, I don't know, what is that, about the sixth or seventh highest rated player in Tennessee's class right now. A really dynamic running back. So, obviously, Tennessee's going to do everything they can to get Chris Cole from the other side of the ball, linebacker playing defense, to join Peyton Lewis as uh, prospects and as commits in Tennessee's class. Here's just the one kind of interesting thing about him real quick. 
going to be at Tennessee this weekend for a visit. I think that's been widely reported on, and we know that after he's going to play a game on Friday, then come down to Tennessee afterwards for that game, 5 o'clock p.m. time. That's that's not bad if you're going to be hosting recruits. Then he's going to be announcing his commitment on Sunday. So not only does Tennessee get the final commitment, or excuse me, the final visit here, but he's going to be committing basically on a day that he saw Tennessee's coaching staff. I would imagine he might see somebody from the program on that Sunday morning before he leaves, if that's going to be in there as well. So I think a lot of the predictions early on have leaned towards Georgia. Obviously, we know how how well Georgia can recruit on the defensive side of the ball. But Tennessee getting that last commit on the weekend that he commits certainly is something to watch out for. Yeah, it feels like Georgia's in the lead. Miami also uh, there. But I think you summed it up pretty good. Always good to get a visit uh, the day before someone's planning on committing, which... You know, it's kind of it's almost kind of strange too. You would, it is. You would assume he would have his decision made, and you would assume if he's is going to Georgia, which is what the predictions have been, he wouldn't visit Tennessee. So that's interesting. One very off the topic thought on him, and I will, well, well, before you get there, okay. One just one to to follow up yeah. on that exact thing right there. Uh, I, I did see from I, I saw a report from On Three National that that I believe said. He actually set his commitment date first, and, and then, then Tennessee came in and said. Whoa, 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 what if? What if, though? What if you came here first and then did your... So, I think that that kind of helps clear... Still a very awkward situation. Still one that you don't see too often. But I do actually think that's how it unfolded. He sets his commitment date for Sunday. Then Tennessee comes in and says, Well, you're not doing anything on that Saturday. Why don't you come in and see the governors? So I think that's what's going to be happening. Go ahead. Yeah, which is also strange to me because it's (laughs) like... You know, when you're doing that, you're like, all right, we're going to be able to hopefully, you know, flip them. And that would make a lot of sense if a guy is committing in July, if a guy is committing in December, January, you know, whatever, by sign- around signing day. And I, I get that this is Austin P. but when visitors come in during the season, it's like coaches are obviously being nice, spending a little bit of time with them. They're not focused on the recruit. They're focused on the game. Like, yeah. they're getting ready to win a game. Yes. Winning games is more <laughs> yeah. important usually, than winning recruiting battles. And usually the game, like Alabama or Florida, speaks for itself, right? What's Austin P going to speak for? Yeah, you know? so, again, maybe that's Austin P. They'll be able to devote a little bit more time to him, but that's that's a little interesting. All right. We'll limit to this. can't go for over a minute because there's going to be, like, maybe a dozen listeners uh, who are going to understand this reference. Oh, gosh. Rick was going to understand that. I don't think Jack's going to. Chris Cole, Tennessee's been recruiting him, I don't know, for a while. All I can ever think about is Sir Christian Cole from House of, House of the Dragon. Every <laughs> single every single time I think about him, every single time I write about him, every single time I see his name, I'm like, this dude's got the exact same name as uh, House of the Dragon. I would character. have never, absolutely never put those things together. Now I might not be able to think of it any other way. Yeah, that's all. That's literally anytime I see him, that's all. Uh, I, I'm probably going to start writing his name as Sir Sir Christian Cole instead Sir of Christian Cole instead of Chris Cole. But yeah, that's enough House Dragon. That is fantastic. Content. Nobody's nobody listening probably knows what that show even is. It was a year Maybe. ago, basically this weekend that you and I were driving up to Pittsburgh and we were listening to the House of the Dragon recaps. Oh yeah, on oh, the oh, way. Oh, I mean, shout out this was liter- yeah, yeah. my boy. <laughs> Best. Song of Ice and Fire and Dune content, oh, and on, Al Dune Gore, content. on Al Gore's internet. I listened oh, to a full Dune a full content. Dune stream last week, driving down and back to uh, unbelievable. Nashville. Yeah, why doesn't he branch out into other things that people care about, like Star Wars and Marvel? Uh, Marvel's Mickey Mouse, Star Wars. <laughs> Mickey I won't Mouse. hit on it. Also, I, res- I respect me. those takes. I couldn't get into Dune. Not gonna lie. Yeah. Maybe I should retry it. 
I, I read the books. With first. the strike oh, okay. going on, I'm going to jump into the movies. Uh, you know, there's not a ton of stuff coming out right now. Well, the movie got delayed. That's what I'm saying. Because of the so. strike? Because of the oh. strike. Yeah, eh, off topic. But Severance, the show on Apple TV, got delayed because of the strike, and it was like the best first season. Oh, of the that's show the I've movie with with Ben from uh, Parks and Rec, I believe. Yep, it's Adam a show. Scott, yeah, it's right. Show, yeah. that's right. It, Adam Scott. Yeah. I've heard amazing things. It about It is that the show. best first season of any show you'll ever see. That's what people wow. say. That's what people yeah. say. I'll put that out there. <laughs> that's what All right. people say. But if there's no second season, it ends on a cliffhanger. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's recap a little week one SEC football, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Um, How do I want to do this? Uh, Utah beats Florida. SEC Can, down bad. Headline. Yeah, SEC down. Smokes ball. SEC down real bad is, <laughs> yeah. the head, is the headline. Yeah, you can start and end there. Um, everybody just kind of looking at the scoreboard. I, I would say your, your biggest takeaways is South Carolina loses to North Carolina. does not look very good. Uh, the chain gang doesn't look very good. Oh, uh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, the, hot, much of this the hot dog vendors were working team. overtime. Okay, yeah. in that game. At, what was that? Bank of America Stadium? Yeah. Charlotte, North Carolina? Yep. LSU just gets second half steamrolled <laughs> by <laughs> Florida State. <laughs> That's awesome. As Florida State now can just can just waltz to the college football playoffs. Just they're just well, gonna prance. Uh, no, 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 no. It's gonna they have Notre Dame, right? They're going to go undefeated. No, they no, don't. You're right. They don't the only have, thing yeah, they, they have left is Clemson. Yeah, yeah, they'll go 13. And Clemson yeah. stinks. Yeah, Clemson won't make the ACC championship. It'll be like UNC. North Car- I think it'll be yeah. North Carolina. Or, or Duke? Nah, nah, Duke <laughs> didn't even play well against Clemson, I thought. They... They had a they, that game could have been forty two to seven. Yeah, I mean they had a lot. That, that's what's encouraging though about it. Like they they beat Clemson by three touchdowns and they had a couple real bad first game mistakes. Oh, maybe it, it's a toss up, but I would. I would go uh, UNC. Yeah, I mean UNC might be the more obvious or most the best likely player in the league. So yeah, I mean that's the most likely pick. But I mean it's also uh, UNC lost four games then last season with that quarterback. So defense looks better. Defense does look better, and that yeah. was their bugaboo. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest takeaway actually from South Carolina. You know, South Shea, or uh, Spencer Rattler gets sacked. I think it was nine times. Which is just unbelievable. I mean, think about how much Tennessee's defensive line dominated Virginia, and Tennessee had four sacks. <laughs> Yeah. So, like, that's, that puts it in the... Yeah. And look, if, if you're watching that game, you're listening uh, to Sean McDonough and Greg McElroy talk about how improved the Shout North... Shout out. Yeah, how improved the North Carolina defensive line looked, which it did, as they sh- should have been talking about. But even if that North Carolina defensive line is radically improved and was as good as it looked against South Carolina, it's like, what, a middle-of-the-pack SEC defensive line? Like, it's not like North Carolina's well, got just a, a litany of blue chip guys there. Why well, this is a great stat, and North Carolina had 17 sacks all of last season. They had nine in that game, so they had over half. Yeah, their 2022 total in one game. I not mean, against Akron or yes, against a Coastal team that Carolina. a lot of people thought was going to beat North Carolina in yeah. South Carolina. So yeah. man, yeah, the South Carolina offensive line looked awful, and I know Juice Wells was banged up. Did he play? Did Antoine Wills play? I don't think so. I don't think I didn't think he did either. If he did, he was like very, very limited. And depending on so depending on what they do, or I, and and depending on how they look going forward, to me, a bad offensive line can be such a a, a kill shot in this league. I mean, even going back to how Kentucky did last year. I mean, that was a team who had a had nearly a first round quarterback in talent, who did have some good receivers, who did have a good defense, but just a putrid offensive line. 
And, and obviously we saw how Kentucky's season kind of unfolded at times there. We know that South Carolina is good. We know that they do have talent. But, man, if they don't have an offensive line, I think that spells a lot of troubles. And Big you can trouble. see that, hey, that's a that's kind of an area that, that Tennessee excelled in last week, for for lack of a better word. So that certainly plenty of takeaways from the South Carolina Gamecocks. Here, here's just a couple of quick hitters. I thought Jalen Milrow looked pretty good. And, you know, I, I was a hater on Jalen Milrow for his performance against A&M last year and a little bit in the Arkansas game. But – he looked really good, and I don't think that's a quarterback battle really moving forward. I, f- I feel like yeah, it was Buckner tough. and Simpson said, are well behind. They got Simpson didn't, didn't play until yeah. Buckner's obviously the number two, and based off what I've heard, you know, in the preseason leading up, Buckner was three for a while. So I feel like Milrow has a firm hold on that job. And I'm just thinking about Tennessee opponents here. I didn't, I wasn't impressed at all with South Carolina, and then Florida was the worst of them all. They just got battered by Utah. The yeah, score Florida, doesn't reflect how much they got outplayed. By Florida Utah. only scores one touchdown, yet Graham late. Mertz throws for 333 yards. I mean, just a, a weird game from them. But they didn't look good. Jack, you were. Let's give you your your flowers right off the bat. You were on this yeah. last week. Yeah, tip the cap. They're not a good team. So all right, here's a throwback uh, comparison or throwback. What the end of the the fourth quarter of the Utah Florida game reminded me of was the fourth quarter of the 2009 Tennessee Florida game. This is Lane Kiffin here at Tennessee. Lane Kiffin <laughs> said, you know, in his first press conference, you know, we're singing Rocky Top all night after yeah. beating Florida. Tennessee plays Florida very competitively, and it felt like in the fourth quarter of that Tennessee Florida game, it was just a long time ago. I was like what in third grade, so maybe my memory's a little foggy. Tennessee didn't have any urgency. They were down like ten points. They had no urgency offensively. Florida was down 14 points in the fourth quarter in that game with the ball a lot, and they had no urgency. Mm. They didn't throw – they wouldn't com- attempt to pass more it's than 15 coaching. yards down it's the coaching. field. Uh, yeah, that offense looked – again, like the the knock on Florida all offseason has been the talent. Like, they just don't have enough talent. Yeah. Which I don't think, you know, necessarily walked away from that game thinking otherwise, but my biggest takeaway was that they did not look like a very well-coached team at all. Yeah, and why didn't they run the ball more? Yeah. Oh, they, yeah. they abandoned the run game. They abandoned completely. the run game. And completely. And it wasn't completely even, abandoned. It's not like because they got down big early. No, that no. game was in the balance all the first half. Yeah. It wasn't until the uh, the picker, yeah, the pick early in the second half yeah. where you're like, okay, Utah is about to. And what Utah had, Utah had like 50 yards in the second half of that game. Like Utah yeah. offense did very, very little playing a, their third and fourth string quarterback. Right. Um, so yeah, Florida, on top of all the miscues, the, I mean, the, the backbreaker of that game was when they had, they got a big third down stop and then they had two dudes on the punt return team in the same number and it gave Utah a first down and Utah went down and scored <laughs> yes. a touch. Utah <laughs> went down and scored a touch. Like, that was the backbreaker in the game, but yeah, it just felt like coaching, man. on top of there being a lot of mistakes like that that you typically point to as either first game things or bad coaching, uh, Florida just had really, it felt like no identity of what they wanted to be on either side of the field. Uh, real quick, any thoughts on LSU? That was a game that I, I did not get to watch a ton of on Sunday night. I was busy doing a couple of other things. But again, just a, a second-half steamrolling yeah, by they FSU. Got bullied. They yeah, got bullied. It's great. You know what? A lot of people going into the season, they said, is, is Jaden Daniels the kind of the next Hendon Hooker, right? That guy who makes a huge jump from year one to year two. He's got a lot of continuity between the head coach, the offense coordinator, blah, blah, blah. No, the answer is no. The answer was was no. Uh, to me, at least, in that question. I, I'm still a Jade. I, feel, I still think Jade Daniels is a really good quarterback. I, I didn't come away thinking less of Jaden Daniels, really. I, I mean, honestly, I came away from that game thinking Florida State is the real deal. Like, they got two dogs at wide receiver, and we don't have to talk about Florida State. But I thought LSU was a little yeah, overrated at fifth in the preseason poll anyway. And they'll be a ranked team throughout the year. I think they'll be solid, and they'll learn from that game. But, yeah, they're not a CFP contender in my eyes. They're 
and they won't really compete with Alabama for the West. Well, I think on the LSU side of it, and this goes to Florida State too, what was most jarring was just Florida State was I thought was a lot better in the in mm-hmm. the trenches. Like that Yes. Not that you thought Florida State was gonna be bad there, but a team like LSU in the SEC is typically wins a lot of those games but just by being way better in the interior on the offensive line and defensive line. So that stood out to me and this isn't an SEC note, but watching that game Sunday night and then turning and watching the Clemson game on Monday, and I think we talked about it at one point in the offseason, or maybe this was on a different program, but it's really fascinating. The Clemson Florida State are two best programs in the ACC, or at least going into the season, we thought they were the two best teams, and they have such radically different approaches. Uh, Florida State being yes. super heavy in the transfer portal, Clemson, what they've had anti, they've got like one, one guy. in the last two years, okay, yeah. And Meanwhile, off- Florida State, 16 of their 22 starters are transfers. And Jeez. you mentioned those two receivers, those two two transfer receivers for Florida State looked fantastic. Yeah, Coleman looks phenomenal. And receiver is a position that you it's typically not very hard to find good players in the portal at. And you watch Clemson play, and they just have no difference makers at receiver, yep. nobody that strikes any fear in, in your eye. And it was just like. Clemson goes and gets a guy, those two guys that Florida State got, like, Clemson's offense looks a lot different, I yeah, think. I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's point. Uh, that was, you know, there was a lot of takeaways and a lot of things to think watching those two games back-to-back nights, but that was, I think, my lasting thought of just the the difference in style uh, of the use of the transfer portal was obviously very noticeable going into the season, and Florida State, you know, clearly looks like the team that's doing it the right way. I got one final thought kind of bringing it back home with sure. Tennessee here. After watching week one slate of games, and including watching week one with Tennessee, that team that was on the field against Virginia and that performance is good enough to go 9-3. and three, No doubt in my mind. Because South Carolina's not beating that Tennessee team that played that way against Virginia. Florida's not doing it. Yeah, I don't think Kentucky's doing it. They struggled a little bit early on. Texas A&M, maybe. They did look good. Texas, Texas A&M that's the one good. team we didn't talk about. They look good. The offense I think did. Tennessee's going to have to shore up some things to ultimately beat Texas A&M. Of course, the scenario works for them, but that was my take. Tennessee's a 9-3 and team at the floor if they play like they do against Virginia with the injuries they have. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I think you, you not only combined what Tennessee was able to do on the field on Saturday, showed you that they have improved in some important places, showed you that they are going to maybe be able to rush the quarterback with only four, like what was a big conversation throughout the whole offseason. But then, Jack, to exactly your point, you look around the SEC – and maybe feel better about a couple of the mid-tier games that are on Tennessee's schedule. You feel certainly better about the Florida game next week, which is which is still going to be huge and still going to be extremely hyped and all that kind of stuff, but maybe feel a little bit better about it. Maybe feel a little bit better about the South Carolina game. Granted, that one was already going to be at home anyways, but I, I think you're right. I think you combine all that together, and if you're a Tennessee fan, if you're, if you're covering this team like we are, I think you're pr- feeling pretty good about just how things might shape up early on. Yeah, I think the two teams, and obviously neither of them played big matchups, but the two teams on Tennessee's schedule in the SEC that looked really good week one were Alabama and Texas A&M. We'll get a, a better look at both those teams this year, or this week, as Texas yeah. uh, heads to Tuscaloosa, and Texas A&M heads to Miami, right? That's where that That's game's exactly right. That's where that game's Miami. Yep. It's like, uh, who can... Which fan base is going to be yeah, angriest? Because yeah. <laughs> both, I mean... yeah, Texas A&M got to hope that uh, Coach O makes an appearance. Because Coach O really struggled against A&M in his career, and he was at the game last year uh, in College Station. Oh. You know, rocking because he's a Miami guy. Uh, yeah. Started his coaching career there, rocking Miami gear in Texas A&M. Won, won a few good games last season. Yeah. 
I totally forgot that they even played in College Station last year. Yeah, yeah. I think the same. I think it was the exact same time time as the Akron game. If my I remember us following it or watching it on the on the iPad in the press box. Two quick picks, and yep. then we'll close this thing out. Seven o'clock p.m. on Easter. Uh, Seven o'clock p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. Number eleven Texas takes on number three Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Who do you have winning, and how does the game flow? Alabama wins. I think it's pretty competitive, personally. At least, I don't know if it necessarily think it comes down to the wire, but I think this is a game that's one to two scores most a game and probably ends up uh, around a one-score game. Yeah, Texas plays everyone close. All their losses last year were one score. But I got I had Alabama covering, so I'm going to stick to my guns. I think Alabama by 10, but it's competitive all throughout, and Alabama pulls away a little bit at the end. It's a basic answer, but I think Alabama's more talented. I think Miller's pretty good. They'll show. Yeah, I think Alabama wins, and, and this is a pretty darn good home-and-home uh, home series for, yeah. for these two programs. Going Funny, back right, to, before to they joined, uh, right before they joined the SEC. Right, and right before the, the Arch Manning craze starts, I would assume that being next year. And then real quick, uh, I don't need a score prediction. We're obviously going to be writing those down a little bit later on, and I imagine most people go the route of big versus versus Little. Tennessee, Austin P. just kind of how do you see this game going? I mean, yeah, as Josh Pate says best, a splattering. Splattering. <laughs> Joyless murder ball. <laughs> Does Tennessee score 70? Have They have not scored 70 in the Josh Heifel uh, era. No, I'll say nah, this. That yeah, is the I think they, I think they the clock, the clock moving. Hey, man. The clock rules could hurt them here. Yeah, but think and about like all the big 70? scores yeah, yeah. that happened last week. You don't think Heifel's going to want to like, okay, let's get to 70. Ole Miss got to 70. I don't think I. I don't. Cares. I don't Oregon think he cares. <laughs> yeah, Oregon <laughs> scoring eighty one. Oklahoma was, was scored seventy three. Yeah, was. I, I, don't, I don't think he does either. But it's just intriguing. So. Like that. It's like, oh, do they score seventy? Um, I'll yeah. say this. I, I, I obviously t- see Tennessee winning, but a lot to a little. Uh, I, I see a lot of the, lot of the starters. If it were me, I would like to see them out for the entirety of the second half. I don't even think you need to go throw them in for the first. For the first series of the second half, although that's a that's a staple in what Josh Heupel likes to do, a lot of the coaches around this uh, in this era like to do. So I think that could certainly be true. But if you're me, I, I like to see as many of the backups in as possible throughout the second half. This is going to be a game that Tennessee rolls uh, again a lot to a little, no doubt. Gentlemen, I think that's going to wrap it up for us today. I think so. I don't have anything Sounds else. Good to me. Once again, Jack, thank you. We thank uh, Rock Solid Sports. We thank WTK. We, t- we thank uh, Benny Smith for letting us use the studio today as we are going to pack up and then head right on over to the other side of campus for a Josh Heupel press conference, the final before the Austin P game coming up in Neyland Stadium. Man, the home opener. Hey, real quick, what would you think of the, uh, the jerseys now that you've had about mm. two full days to let it kind of sink in and settle? What do you think about the Smoky Gray, Condridge Holloway, Artful Dodger throwback uniforms? Uh, I love the the reason, right? The why, the why they're wearing them. I'm not a huge fan of the way they look, but I've seen some people just absolutely hate and abhor the way they look. I'm not there. I, they're fine, yeah, but that's I where just, Ryan is. Uh, you, I don't. I don't hate it. I don't. <laughs> no. I don't abhor it. They are bad. They are certifiably bad. I do like the reason. Would have been way cooler just to wear. Uh, the white uni- the white uniforms that had shoulder pads like that the yes. actual uniforms that he wore would have been much cooler um, but hey they got that Nike they got to get that Nike money doing that contract <laughs> so the best the best thing about these uniforms is Tennessee's getting them out of the way against Austin P and hopefully we'll never see him again well that's a good point you're getting the smoky gray out very early we know that there's going to be two more new designs for the next 2 years after this one as well i do like the way that you get it out of the way early just cuz for me i like the orange i like the white i like the black considerably better 
So they uh, can't wear the regular smoky grays now, right? No, I mean my understanding is I just don't is think they're, they're going smoky to smoky gray here. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I just don't think they're going to. I don't know if they can or can't. They probably they probably aren't. No, like, I mean, can I they wear a rule against it? I'm can they wear white at home? Like if they just yeah. decided if you to? wanted to. Yeah. I mean, you can do anything, right? Yeah, if you're at home, you can wear whatever you want. Yeah. If you're on the road and you want to wear your home uniforms, the other team has to approve of it. Mm. Because Tennessee wore smoky gray on the road last year. But, but that LSU was because LSU white. went white. Yeah. Yeah. Is it see, it wasn't their classic white uniforms that they wore last year. But I wish it would have been uh, color on color. I think that would have looked really cool. Anyways, ah, these things have grown on me uh, a little bit over the last 48 hours. I have to say, I did not like them at first. I went to bed on, what was that, Tuesday that they released them? I went to bed thinking, nah, okay, maybe they're not that bad. And then well, I went through Wednesday and I was like, you know what? I kind of like them. I think it looks a lot better than just like, you know, you see like Alumni Hall or Vol Shop tweet out the jerseys on the rack and you're like, all right, that looks, I don't know how I feel about that. But on the players, I mean, what we've seen about on Joe Milton, I think that's all right. Now It looks better. Yeah, now, I will, I will reserve the right to completely change my opinion when we see them on the field on Saturday. But at least right now on Thursday morning, it's growing on me. It's growing on me a fair bit. I, I, I do like them. I'm really excited to see what they look like on the field. I guess I'm just a new school jersey guy. As much as I've tried to fight it over the last couple of years, I just have to, at this point, I've just got to admit it. I like more of the new jerseys than I don't. I guess I'm just in that boat. Yeah, I mean, I we don't I don't need to be any more of an old man talking about uniforms. <laughs> you're, today, you're pretty much so. never going to find me having a strong opinion on uniforms. I okay, really fair. don't care when it comes fair. down to it. What do you say we wrap this up and get out of here? Let's do it. We have a press conference to go to. We got Josh Heupel to go talk to. We will get you all the information after that. By the time that you're listening, that'll all be done and out of the way already. You can head over to RockyTopInsider.com for all of your Tennessee news, notes, and coverage as we get you here through each week of the football season and basketball right on the horizon. Ryan put out uh, Ryan put out two great basketball articles yesterday as we continue to draw closer and closer to the Vols 2023 basketball season, but... Man, that's going to wrap it up for us today. Hey, we will be there on Saturday. We will be right here in Neyland Stadium as we cover the game. Make sure you're following along with each and every one of us. If you want to follow Jack Foster, you can do that at Jack Foster Media. That is on Twitter. If you want to follow Ryan, you can do that at rshump00, S-C-H-U-M-P, on Twitter, of course. And then if you want to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. That's just R-I-C, like the nature boy himself. Gentlemen, but of course... You can also check out Rocky Top Insider at Rocky Top Insider on each and every one of the different social media platforms. That is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. We are posting daily content to each and every one of those sites, uh, and we would love to have you on board for it all. But that all, be- that all being said, gentlemen, it's time to get out of here. Let's go ahead and do that. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you, the audience, for listening to us today. If you could do us a favor, man, it would be incredibly appreciated. Go ahead and leave us a five-star review, a great rating along the way as well. we love to hear the feedback from you. And, and, hey, we're building this thing to the football season. We're now past 100 episodes. We have that in the rearview mirror. The sky is the limit for the RTI Press Pass podcast. We're so happy you're listening to us. Thank you so much. And, hey, we will see you after the Austin P game for an instant reaction right here on the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. For Jack, for Ryan, I'm Rick. We'll see you back for the next one.